Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Christopher Lind, who is Head of Global Digital Learning at GE Healthcare. In this episode, we talk some digital learning and a lot about speaking the language of business in order to get the right things done. It's a deep and challenging conversation, and one that offers great insights. So let's get into it. Christopher, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Now, you've held senior global L&D roles at both AbbVie and currently GE Healthcare. What do you think it takes to be a successful learning leader? Oh, wow. Um, just a small question I mean, to get started. Yeah, just a small <laughs> question, right? Yeah, no, what, what, what is the key to success? I mean, I think there's a lot of pieces you know, whether it's, whether it's experience and things like that. But I think one of the things that I've found to be a key differentiator is being able to speak the language of the business leaders versus mm. just the language of L&D. Yeah. And what, what do you mean by that? What happened, could you elaborate on what that is and what that isn't? Yeah. Um, well, so what it isn't, I guess I can answer that with both, right? Because if, if I answer what it is, it'll answer what it isn't. I think what I've found over the years is in L&D, we have a tendency to get caught up in our own space, in the way we think about things, the way we talk about things. We use a lot of lingo. We talk about things that make sense to L&D practitioners, but to business ops leaders, it's, it's Greek. They, yeah. just, they just glaze right over and have no idea what they're saying. And so to them, even we may be saying we're trying to solve a business problem for them, they're not hearing it. And I think yeah. the biggest thing with that is, is that we're, we're expecting them to meet us where we are and understand things the way we understand them. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, look, I, I completely agree. I think that, uh, that, it's, that it's easy to be talking about delivering programs, about how people learn and... Um, about content and programs, but but I think to your point, I don't I don't think they really care, and almost as if we've got ourselves into a bit of a, a bit of trouble by talking that language that we've almost pigeonholed ourselves. Not so much problem solvers, but content providers and um, program deliverers. That in our worst fears, sometimes we're asked to do just that by a, a stakeholder with quite some clout in the organisation. And we know that it's not going to deliver any difference. You know, we bring <laughs> vendors in sometimes. We say, look, they want to run a program. You and I know <laughs> that it's not going to do right. any difference, but we've right. got to play along. But I wonder whether that's because that we've brought them over into the learning world without stepping into, into the business world. Well, and I think that's a great point is that we, and it's not a bad thing to bring business leaders along and have them mm. better understand what we're doing in L&D. I think that's an important thing. But I think that's what you just said is we're not bringing them along for the journey. We just hit them with all the lingo and they interpret that to mean whatever that means to them, which education was 12 years of school, sitting in a desk, mm. having a teacher talk at you, going off to higher ed, having the same experience. So they think they understand it, but we're not actually checking back to say, you know, are you really hearing what we're talking about? And the lingo just makes it that much worse, I think. And, and in your experience, when you're in your day to day, whether it be in your current role, whether it be today, whether it be over the years, can you think of examples where you've 
either led conversations and it's been about the business, you've joined conversations and it's been about the business, or you've been privy to a conversation and a colleague, a vendor, or somebody's talking the language of learning and it's not landing. Yeah, so I'll give a funny story. I won't, I won't tell who or where, but <laughs> I remember one time I was in a business meeting with some very senior leaders and one of my colleagues was alongside and she was there to talk about how, and I, and I appreciated, I appreciated as an LMD practitioner, she wanted to talk about the people side of change. Mm -hmm. And so she was talking about this to these business leaders as we were going through some big organizational changes and we were talking about how LMD can do it. And it, you could just see it. You could just see them glaze over. They just shut down and were paying no attention, taking notes, typing emails. And she was trying so hard to do the right thing. It killed me. And we, we had to debrief after. But I remember just watching that and going, it's, it's the language. They have no idea what you're saying. You're super passionate about it. And if you were talking at an L&D conference or if you were on a podcast like this with other L&D practitioners, they'd all be nodding their heads and clapping and cheering these business leaders at the end of the day don't care. And it's because they have no idea what it's like talking a foreign language. Hmm. I, I had a similar situation. The first one that springs to mind with me is again, going back Disney days, very, very senior stakeholder who asked me to run a workshop type session. You're kind of thinking, well, okay, you know, somebody senior has asked me to do this. It must be the right thing to do. So I've kind of done a sketch outline. I've shared it with them. They've taken a cursory look and thought, yeah, 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 that's fine. I get up in front of a very senior group of of their direct reports and I'm delivering a learning session and that's the point where you see a lot of very senior smart business focused and time poor people looking and thinking what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> you know you think you can see it straight away you're thinking yeah. oh man how do, how do I switch this conversation onto what you yep. care about rather than what I've been asked to deliver it it can be gut-wrenchingly embarrassing yeah I, one of the, so I was working with an operations leader and one of the challenges, and I think we all struggled with this in, in L and D is they don't understand why does it take, why does it take so long? Can't you just do the thing? And I was having to explain the process. And I think this is one where we run into, you know, we try and explain Addy or Sam and we, we go through this and I didn't, I explained it as a supply chain. I explained the supply chain of how L&D works and the process we follow. And I related everything to supply chain operation. Hmm. And at the end he goes, I've, okay, makes sense. And I never had issues with him again because I met him where he was and he thought like an operator. He thought as a distribution channel and how does this happen? And so while that, that analogy may not work for every business leader, it worked because I met him where he was with his mindset around stuff. It seems to me that the first conversation we have with stakeholders, there's an immediate fork in the road and we've got a choice. We can either take what they say and then start talking about learning needs and learning solutions, or we can stay with their map and their terrain and talk about the business. And I, no, I, you know, I throw a lot of stuff uh, out on LinkedIn <laughs> as, you, as you do as well. No, you know, I don't, I don't, you don't do that. <laughs> and, um, you, you throw something out there such as solving real problems, speaking the language of business um, and understanding what the what we're talking about in terms of performance, productivity and capability. And sometimes I'll get thrown back. Well, that's not learning and development's role. Here I think, 
I can't fully agree with you there. I mean, I'd say fully, yeah. I, can't, I can't agree with you there. But I think that's because we are well versed over the years in anticipation that programs or content are the answer that we'll go, okay, so I get what you're saying there. That sounds to me like a conflict resolution course, or that sounds to me like a team workshop that we can do, you know, where, where, we, where we look to understand the problem and immediately go straight to a learning solution rather than look at the problem and look to solve the problem in the context of work. Is this, is this what you're talking about as well? I think it's a perfect right? a confirmation bias is, mm. is an example I use when you look at it from a psychology standpoint. We think we know what we're going to do walking into the conversation and we're just looking for validation for what we've already thought we yeah. want to do anyway. And so we ask the questions that we think are going to prove to us, oh, yeah, yep, I was thinking it was a conflict resolution workshop because you said there's conflict. Uh, tell me more about, you know, <laughs> resolution in your group. Oh, you said resolution too. Yeah, yep, you're you're 100% spot on. And I think that's, it's a natural tendency. You go with your comfort zone. So it's not, it's not like we're bad people or that we, you know, anything like that. It's just our, our natural go-to. Mm. And sometimes those conversations start off with, hey, Christopher, um, could we could we have a conversation next Wednesday? I want to I, I want to understand what courses you've got on yes. leading without authority. You you know you go up with your binder. You know exactly what that conversation is. And even, although you don't run that course, in between now and next Wednesday, you've done some research to find a vendor. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes yeah. the the you know the tra- training tennis, if you, if I can use this analogy, the the ball is served by the stakeholder. You know, when we when we look to return this from the baseline, we know what that is. It's training. It looks it's going to look and smell like training. Um, but but again, I, I think that speaking the language of business just requires us to to refocus that conversation away from the solution much more than about the work and the problem. Right. Well, and it's not easy. No. Business leaders are used to that's especially because in many ways we've created this environment for that. Right. The years of just, oh, you said, you know, critical thinking or you said platform skills and we've done it. If you're first in those early stages of going back and saying, hey, before we talk about what classroom workshop we're going to offer, let's talk about what's going on in your business so I can better understand that. If that's not territory they've been used to, I can tell you when I've walked into orgs and brought that. It's not necessarily met with, wow, thanks so much for doing that. I'm really glad that you're, you know, challenging my thinking and, and now making me think more about this. It's met with, you're the training person. Yeah. Go get me a negotiation workshop. Don't ask me why I think we need negotiation. So there is that period of time that you have to retrain the leaders on, well, just because you said negotiations, I'm going to ask some follow-up questions. I'm going to push back on is that really the right solution or why do you think that's the right solution? And I'm going to help you understand why, but if, and I think that's can sometimes happen is people do it and they get thumped, you know, mm. it's, get out of my office and go get a thing. And well, you know what, forget it. And you want to quit. But if you don't over time, you'll build up that, that rapport. And, and sometimes you got to give in. I mean, that's, that's a given, but I think that's, it's not an easy journey. No, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think it starts with um, a different type of questioning. I think it starts with an appreciation of what 
your stakeholders' concerns are, what their primary concerns are. For me at Disney, it was always, what's your, what's your business operating model? Or more succinctly, how do you make money and how, and anticipating the, the external factors that might be creating a problem or the internal factors that might be creating a problem there. What can I anticipate that you care about? So I go in there and I'm talking about the business. I might go in there and say, you know, ask the question, how's business? Interesting question. When I first joined Disney and I was keen to get to manager level, I got a mentor from outside who works at Barclays at the time. And I said, I want to work on my commercial savvy. Like, so I, so that I, I lean more to becoming a more of a, a business focused L&D professional. And he said, so really simple. He said, well, when you see stakeholders, ask them, how's business? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we go, oh yeah, that's it. It seems so simple. Get the conversation onto business. If you go in there and say, how are your people? You're going to just go and start a conversation about the people, which right. of course is important, but the people are there because of the business. Right. And this is something we teach people all the time. You need to meet your audience where they are. Yeah. Don't, don't expect your audience to come to where you are. And yet in the same vein, we often forget to do that in these conversations. We're so concerned about L&D and, and what we're doing in L&D. And so we bring that to them instead of realizing they don't really care about that until we, until we help them understand why they should care. Now, anybody listening to this who isn't used to this type of conversation, with a senior stakeholder asking how's business or if they're working in another type of organization that perhaps isn't profit driven, um, asking the, the questions that are important to their stakeholders, they might be thinking that there are pitfalls. You know, it's, it's like, you know, when you speak to managers, you say, have career conversations. You go, no, man, I can't have career conversations because I don't know what if they say they want to leave. <laughs> like, but, but there are pitfalls around this if you're not yes. used to speaking with business uh, stakeholders about this. So, so a two pronged question what would you say to people who are focusing on the pitfalls and what are the benefits of speaking with business people about their business? Oh, what are the pitfalls? You know, I think one of the pitfalls, and this is just something that I think is important is making it. And, and this is something that you have to shift your mindset, which is mm. having a genuine curiosity about the business. If you don't, they'll smell it a mile away. If you come in and just ask these questions and it's obvious you're, you're tuning out while they finish so you can hit them with your L&D questions, the, the genuine nature of it will, will crush you. Uh, so you really have to have that genuine curiosity about the business when you ask, how is your business? What are some of the things that are keeping you up at night? Help me understand what's going on. It, that needs to be authentic. And I think that's something that it can be difficult because maybe you really don't, don't care. Maybe that's not something that's a passion point for you. So you have to get over that and be able to be like, well, okay, but think about how this is actually ultimately benefiting, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess the other thing too is you're going to get, you're going to get knocked down and that's yeah. just something you have to be comfortable with and just have, and be relentless. You're going to walk out of some meetings and be like, well, I tried and I got kicked in the teeth. I'm going to go back again and I'll continue to try it. I've got extra teeth and, and just be okay with that. And it's not happy news. Not, no, it'll go perfect every time. Just ask the right questions. Like, no, it won't. It won't. And I think that's some of the things to the naysayers is to acknowledge, you know, some of the things you're thinking are probably spot on, yeah. not a hundred percent of the time, but a certain percentage of the time it's inevitable. 
If I can just add to that as well, yeah. I don't think you have to wait until those meetings to be asking how's oh. business. If you if you see a state senior stakeholder in the coffee queue, in the elevator, where, wherever they are, ask them. Ask them how's business. They're, they're quite likely, they, first of all, they're, they're going to answer. I mean, yes. it, it's, it's going to be the stuff that's front of their mind. Uh, and number two, you're going to frame yourself as a business-focused uh, and somebody who's interested, but certainly a business-focused learning and development professional that will gain you some currency um, in when you actually get to those meetings. But let's talk to the other side of that coin. What are the benefits here? What can what can speaking the language of business deliver that's different? Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer that one. But to the point you just made, one of the best things I did in my career was as an L&D person, I just set up one-on-ones with mm. some of the business leaders for the sheer purpose of just saying, I want to better understand. Nobody ever, okay, I won't say nobody. Hmm. People will say no occasionally, but for the most part, they're thrilled that yeah. L&D cares enough to come learn, purely learn about the business. No, they're, they're, that's, that's something that I would recommend to anybody. So in terms of benefits, I think it's one of those things where the best benefit of it is, one, this, this thing we struggle with all the time, which is measurement. How do we measure whether what we did is effective? Well, half the time is because we never figured out what the heck we were trying to solve in the first place yeah. because we didn't actually understand the business problems that were out there. And I think mm. by speaking the language of business, you can start to understand this is really what's going on. These are the real pain points, not the 100,000 foot view or the thing you hear on, on you know, I don't know, a conference. These are the things your business leaders are really struggling with. So you can design solutions specifically targeted for that. That's so much easier to measure when you start with that because you know this is the problem and this is what it looks like good on the other end. Well, now we'll do the thing and guess what? We'll know what to see, whether it works. To me, that's the biggest one. I think we struggle yeah. so much with measurement. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Once, once you're speaking their language and then you understand, again, I, I keep talking about the terrain. So their terrain, um, what what's working well for them, what their priorities are. I loved what you said there before, what keeps them up at night. You can focus your efforts on helping them there. Um, yeah, we, we struggle with measurement a lot of the time because with a conversation, we aggregate what their problem is up with other problems so that we've we've almost to a level of abstraction when it comes to a course you know oh i get what you're saying we we should we should incorporate that into a, incorporate that into a leadership development course so you've taken it up to a level of abstraction there's a standardized program or e-learning as a result and once we've done that we look and think was that worth it and you know, you're thinking well you've stopped solving the problem you stop solving the problem when you when you aggregate that to a um, to an abstract level, but uh, but by keeping things, by what, understanding what people really care about, what the yep. real problems are, I, what I've found is the solution can be lighter, faster, cheaper, and more effective. Yeah, it won't be, uh, may not be appropriate to everybody in your organization, but we've almost got to stop trying to launch products and programs onto <laughs> unsuspected audiences and expecting that it's going to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think two other things you know, that I think can be a real benefit is one, we want business leaders to come along the way and speaking their language helps with that. Mm. They understand what we're trying to do because at the core, we're both trying to do the same thing. It's just yeah. we're coming at it from two different angles. And when you can speak their language, it helps. And the other one is very practical. I think L&D is notorious for, oh, budgets get cut. That's the first thing that gets cut. And a lot of times it's because Business leaders don't understand what we're doing. They don't understand what the value is. 
And we aren't really memorable in their minds. And by becoming that partner, that person they think of that, hey, when I have a business problem, I know I can talk to you know, so-and-so. And they help me think through that. Not a promise you'll never get <laughs> wiped out, but you definitely improve your chances. So from a pragmatic standpoint, it's not a bad thing. No, no, I think you're absolutely right. Now, now what we're describing so far with speaking the language of business, um, is this what's provided you the currency to take GE Healthcare on the journey that you have? And for the benefit of the listener, could you describe this journey? Yeah, so it's definitely helped. And, and I say that because I've had a unique, unique opportunity, really, I think, throughout my career. But specifically at GE, I've never been in the HR space. So I've always been in that ops piece. So for me, business language is mission critical because if I don't speak it, that's it. Like I can't even, you know, protect myself by being in another function. I'm right there with it. So it, it definitely has because early in the journey, you know, we have a legacy of, of training and they wanted to change it and they wanted to change it, but I don't think they knew what they were asking when they said we want to change it. And had I not been able to speak to, well, what are we trying to do from a commercial side of things? Or what are we trying to do with our marketing teams? Help me understand why it's not working or what are some of the things we're doing today? I, they would, I would have been, you know, walked right out of the building. I, I think, um, you know, in terms of that journey, it's been a long one. I used to have Fabio-esque hair and don't <laughs> anymore and that's okay. Um, but you know, the biggest thing that I learned here is I came into GE with an expectation that, it's, it's GE, we're, I'm going to be, you know, there's going to be robots everywhere and, and AI is going to be running the, the whole building. And, and it wasn't, it was like every other organization <laughs> that I've worked in. And so I think the thing that worked was I met the business where they were. So right. I came in as this digital leader, the whole org was set up to transform what stuff was. And I could have just tried to do what, you know, maybe we sometimes do an L&D, which is, I know what we need to do. I know what the right thing is. And so I'm just going to bring it in and, and dump it on everybody because that's what has to happen because that's what good looks like by our standards. Hmm. And I didn't. I said, well, here, here's where we are. And, and let me map this out and let me explain to you what, what steps we're going to take. I'm going to explain to you why and what you're going to get out of that. And I'm going to explain what it takes for me to do that. And I won't say it was a perfect journey. I won't say that everything just went like sunshine and puppies, but once you started finding those strategic wins and those things that went really well and people said, Hey, wait a minute, this is making a difference. This is actually different than what we expected. Then, then what I found, and this may be the GE culture is once, <laughs> once you got something good on, they strap eight jet packs to you, fuel them up and like, like <laughs> And you're going, holy smoke, hang on a second. So, so that's where it started slow, but over time as the credibility built, as we had some wins, that's when it really started to accelerate. And now we're doing stuff that I thought it would take a lot longer than two and a half years to get to the point that we would be doing the things we're doing now. And can you give us examples of the kind of stuff you're doing now? Yeah. So we're, we were, we have historically been very entrenched in the classroom, right? That is, that is our bread and butter. And my whole thing with that, and I think a lot of times the classrooms defended 
by saying, well, people need to interact with other people. You just can't replace that. And the problem with that is it's not scalable. So for an organization the size of GE, where people are literally everywhere in the world, all over the place, and then you look at our financial situation, it's not, we can't afford to fly 15,000 people to Wisconsin so that we can give them opportunities to role play because we know role play works really well. And that was, you know, that was a hurdle, but now, uh, and the vendors merging, but that's irrelevant. But the point is we're working with this vendor on how can we give people digital opportunities to practice, reflect and practice again and learn and actually, you know, build that behavioral muscle, which to me is the nirvana of, of what we're trying to do in learning and development. It's not just, hey, how do we better shuffle content? It's how do we give people experiences and opportunities to learn things that they couldn't do? Now, if you had told me two and a half years ago that that would have, I could have brought that topic up and it would have resonated, I would have been like, no way. They're, they're just gonna laugh me out. And now by the time we brought that, they said, we get it. We understand all these things you've been telling us and the journey you've been taking on, I completely understand why instead of creating a robust university or academic curriculum around our products, what we really need is performance support mm. and some opportunities for people to practice and learn and, and change the behaviors we're trying to drive. That to me was like, we're there, like we're there and we're not there, but it was, that was that feeling that I had. Yeah. That sounds like a, uh, a tremendous milestone to, yes. for, for people to recognize that you said there that, um, a lot, a lot of stakeholders uh, and a lot of L&D people think that, that L&D should look and feel like school or, as you said, uh, a university. But we have got to bust that. You, schools and universities are, are created to educate. Learning and development, a lot of the time, are there to help enhance performance and build capability, which doesn't have to be done in a learn-before-work situation. You mentioned their performance support. And once you've got 15,000 people there, um, it, it's completely unrealistic to think that everybody's going to learn what they need in a face-to-face -face environment. For number one, when you got people face-to-face, -face, you keep them for as long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> you do, though, don't right. you? Like, so whether yep. one day, and, and then, you know, and it's always in days. It's one day, it's two days, it's three days, probably depending on how far you've flown them. Uh, but they can't hold that information. But, you know, by, by creating a... a um, a sterile environment or one that doesn't reflect the the context of work and trying to fill their heads up with stuff you i mean they whether you like interacting with other people or not it's not fit for purpose whilst what you're describing there using digital tools not as another education tool but as a way of getting to people to guide and support them with what they need when they need it in the context of their work which doesn't require a great cognitive load it doesn't require memorization it just requires application because you've got there at the point of need it's a it's a reframe for L&D as much as it is and I wanted to, to state this case because I know that what you've done you haven't just yep. got a new LMS and filled it full of e-learning and then sold that to your stakeholders you've fundamentally done things differently different based on its efficacy and its ability to enhance what people are trying to do and also shore up GE healthcare for what it needs to do um, to, to meet its goals now and to survive in the future. Yep, spot on. And, and it always cracks me up when people talk about the university model as 
you know, academic and comparing what we're doing to higher education. Because if you look at what's happening with higher education, businesses are saying that doesn't work for us. Yeah. People are coming out of college and businesses are saying you have no practical experience for what <laughs> we need you to do. So higher ed's on its head. And yet that's what we're trying to replicate. That's, that's the irony to me of, you know, bringing higher education to the corporate setting. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today, Christopher, is because you do have high expectations of digital, uh, both with what you can do with it and for the results that you can gain within your organization. But a lot of the time, L&D seems stuck with limited expectations of digital, that it's in support of the classroom or that it looks like e-learning and virtual classrooms. What's your view of this, the, your view of the market that that considers this and what what advice do you give um, to to your peers and colleagues elsewhere yeah so the the term that i use for this and i would say many of us in lmb struggle with this we have stockholm syndrome and if you don't know what it is look it up but you know we're we're, we're married to our captor we've been you know we don't know what we don't know and so we're sitting in this dark dingy prison cell of legacy L&D going like, I, I can't step out into the sun. And there's like a grassy meadow with the sun <laughs> and a picnic basket. And you're like, come on out. Like, no, 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 I'm good here. Cause at least I have this stale toast. And, <laughs> and the reality is I get it because I will say it wasn't until maybe the last five or seven years that I really started pushing and exploring what was possible. Hmm. And I think a lot of times in L&D, we, we worry about that because we go, well, we can't do, we can't do everything just because it's new. Yes, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be exploring every single possibility of what could be done. Hmm. Doesn't mean you bring it to the table, but it does mean that you look at what what is happening, what could be done, because the reality is technology is changing things at a pace that is is just out, out of this world. And so I hear things where people go, well, you can't do this or you have to, you need to be able to do this and only in person can do it. And it's like, yeah, that may have been true two years ago. That is not true today. And so I think that's, you know, really one of the biggest things is you need to be out there exploring and not, don't just attend some conference and look at some, have conversations, talk with other people in L&D about what they're doing in their organization, step out of your org because that's what's really going to open your eyes to the possibilities of what could we do if we could do anything versus, well, what's the best we can do with the environment we have? I think that's what keeps creeping us back into our prison cell. Well, you know, we have a bad LMS or we don't really have a lot of budget. Okay. So do a lot of organizations and they are doing things differently. So go learn from them. And you've touched on it there. I I'd love to know what excites you at the moment as far as digital is concerned and what you're seeing as the potential of applying any emerging trends or technologies to L&D. Yeah, so some of the things I'm seeing right now that to me are just exciting are one, one the one I talked about before. Instead of just being a content department, we can be an experience department and an experience department in a way that we haven't before. You know, I think we really can architect experiences for people. And because of technology, we can bring people to those where they are. You know, I yeah. think of some of the exciting stuff. I've talked to some folks with other words where they're sending new service professionals out 
with wearables and a subject matter expert is coaching them through servicing a piece of equipment in real time. They're not sitting in a classroom being shown some static model and told, oh, turn this bolt. And then by the time they get home, they have no idea what it is. They're sitting there on a job getting paid to fix a customer's product, but they have the guidance of a subject matter expert to walk them through it. And that's the kind of stuff that you go, that's better than, that's better than classroom. Don't tell yeah. me the classroom is superior to that because it's not. And I will never, you know, we can put people in environments. Uh, you know, I think this is where virtual reality is taking us. Mm. We can give people unsafe experiences to teach them the real why don't you want to do this or what not to do. You can't do that with, <laughs> you cannot put people in dangerous situations, you know, and, mm. and things like that. So I think you know, the guidance, we, we talked about performance support. Technology is now allowing us to reach people right where they are. And, and some of that's content. I look at some of these digital adoption platforms that know what you're doing on your computer. So for yeah. knowledge workers that are at their computer, hey, you're trying to do this thing. Let me walk you through that step. You can't do that with a, a, a webinar where you're rolling out software. So I think the possibilities are just they're truly endless. And if you're exploring them, no, you're not going to be able to bring everything in. And if today all you're doing is classroom learning, you're not going to be able to start there, but you have to start somewhere to be able to get there. Yeah. And I think that um, with all the emerging technologies around, you you hear all the time about uh, AR and VR um, and people getting excited about it being a new means of delivery. And I wonder whether we are going down, because so, I th again, I think there are two paths you go down. You look at the technology yep. and say, oh, how do we use that? <laughs> or, you, or you look at the problem and you think, how do we solve that? And is there a smarter, more efficient way that we can solve that, perhaps using technology? One of them finds you buying new and novel tools yep. that will be filling up a store cupboard in the, after two years uh, after nobody's really been using it and the other one is truly helping people to do their jobs and i think that we don't start enough with the problem because we're yes. talking about going back to your original point around speaking the language of business because we're talking about addressing learning needs rather than addressing a, real points of friction that are being experienced in the flow of work right now and and, that, and i think what you said there is the biggest so you have to explore all the possibilities so you know what they are. And then you have to be able to speak the language of business so you can hear the real problems. And then at that point, that's when you can say, this is what you're struggling with. This is, what, you know what, because I've been exploring what's possible, I know the best solution to solve that problem. And that's how you're able to make those steps. And gluing the two, the two things together, I, I suppose what we're talking about here is helping to extend the expectations of our stakeholders and what they believe about digital by talking about what it can address, talking about what yes. their priorities are, what keeps them up at night. It, it, seems, it, it seems to me that's, that's how you, you overcome a lack of adoption that so many technology implementations seems to struggle with. Yes. I mean, your, your business leaders and your IT leaders are not going to listen to you if, if your justification for something is, I went to ATD and I saw this really cool thing. And so I want to bring it in. And I think we can find some places to apply that. that just, <laughs> it's not going to work, but that's what we yeah. try and do. And then we go, oh, see, we can't change anything because the business, they're not open to these new ways of thinking. And it's like, no, that's, that's our fault. 
we didn't we didn't do it the right way. We did it backwards. So coming to the end of the uh, the conversation, Christopher, yeah. if you were to give the listener some advice to ensure they speak the language of business and to benefit from your experience, what would that advice be? Oh, that's a big question. You know, some of it is just as practical as self-awareness and being aware that we do speak this language that only people in our field do. So if, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't, I speak business language, like, well, and the best way to find that out is go ask your business leaders and be open to that feedback and say, I'm really trying to better understand your business. And, and, and so tell me, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Are there things that was a, that was a painful mirror I had to hold up to myself early in my career because I've been in education from my earliest days as a math teacher and I have two degrees in education. And so it's all up here. It's easy for it to come out of my mouth. I have no issue doing it, but it was a, a very painful conversation where I asked the business leader that I thought I had a good rapport with. And he said, I mean, I appreciate what you, I have no idea what you talk about when you talk to me about stuff. And it was like, wow. You know, and I asked for examples and I said, well, you know, what would, what wouldn't be more meaningful? And we talked through it. And I think sometimes that's the painful kind of pride we have to be able to walk away from that. Guess what? We're not, we're not as business savvy as we like to think. And the only way we're going to be more business savvy is by being vulnerable, talking to business leaders and changing our behavior, not expecting them to change their behavior for us. Yeah, I think that's an absolute key part to that because I think there is a, that's great advice. Now, we mentioned it earlier, you, you're prolific on, uh, on social media. So if people want to follow <laughs> yes. you, how can they do so? So I have a Twitter, but I, the most I post on it is like LinkedIn's connected to Twitter. I do, mm. check, I do check Twitter here and there. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. That is where I spend um, most of my time when it comes to social media. In fact, my wife gives me a hard time. She's like, you don't even <laughs> use Facebook. I'm like, well, because well, why? Uh, so, so again, I think you know, when it comes to that, LinkedIn is big. And I love talking with people just like we're talking today. I, I have regular conversations every week with L&D leaders just to hear what they're doing and talk about the challenges they're facing and share what we're facing here. So yeah, welcome to connect with anybody. Fabulous. And we'll put uh, the link to your uh, your LinkedIn page on uh, uh, in the show notes. But Christopher, thank you very much. It's been a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your insights. Nay, thanks so much for having me. And it's been a cool opportunity and always good to catch up with you. Great. Thank you. There was a lot in that conversation and plenty of gold to help influence senior executives and share a vision of digital that focuses on results. I hope you found it useful. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating on your podcast app of choice. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.